The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. The Jews murmured about Jesus because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? Do we not know his father and mother? Then how can he say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, Stop murmuring among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draw him, and I will raise him on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to my Father and learns from him comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except the one who is from God, he has seen the Father. Amen, amen, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the desert, but they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. The Gospel of the Lord. celebrate this 19th Sunday in Ordinary Time today. The candle, uh, the tabernacle candle in the Adoration Chapel burns this week in loving memory of Hugh Huxon. The second collection today is for the building fund. The Knights of Columbus will be selling the football board squares after all masses this weekend. The proceeds will benefit the parish security fund. The monthly pro-life mass is this Tuesday at 5.30 p.m., a rosary will follow the Mass, uh, will immediately follow after the Mass. This Wednesday is the Feast of St. Philomena on the traditional calendar. Uh, we'll be offering a 5.30 Latin Mass uh, this Wednesday evening, confessions being at five, uh, 5 o'clock beforehand as normal. I want to extend a special thank you to everybody who came to our parish workday last week. We had, uh, we had a, great, uh, a great number of folks that come out. And got a lot of work done, but especially uh, the Lord was glorified, I think, by drawing close together uh, with one another in community. So again, to express my, my special gratitude for each of you who came, especially uh, in just probably one of the hottest days we've had the year, uh, to be able to, to labor uh, in sweat and hopefully not tears uh, for the continued beautification of our campus. I am the bread that came down from heaven. It's these words that make people sort of balk at our blessed Lord. Indeed, he has done miracles. He fed the 5,000. He's done other things, of course, along the way. But as he starts to say these things, I am the bread that came down from heaven, the immediate visceral response of the people who were there, since many of whom knew him, and others presumably did not, respond in a sort of shocked manner. Don't we know his parents? Don't we know where he lives, where he was born, what he's done for the last 30-something years of his life? How is it that he can say, he is the bread come down from heaven, when we know very much about his life 
here on earth. They're scandalized at this, shocked at the fact of these things. And here we begin to see the hardening of their hearts. In a few weeks we'll hear that many of the people that day leave. They're no longer willing to accept these things. They can accept marbles and they accept all kinds of other things, but this, to say that this man is the bread that has come down from heaven, which is greater than manna, the food that fed their ancestors. And furthermore, as he concludes today and, and continues to, to emphasize more in the, in the paragraph that follows, that his bread that he gives is his flesh. We must eat this man's flesh. And it's as if in the eyes, the minds, and hearts of many, the door simply shuts with a nice thud. And they are no longer willing to hear what else he has to say. It's an important thing for us to hear this, these words of our blessed Lord. He is indeed the bread that comes down from heaven. It is truly his flesh that we must eat. There's no getting around it. Our Lord quite means these things. He allows us to experience the difficulty of this. But it's a fact that he doesn't shrink back from. If we would have eternal life, we must eat his flesh. Mother Church places before our our minds and our ears the reading from Elijah. Elijah the prophet. It was uh, shortly after the, the time where he had slain uh, the 400 or 450 prophets of Baal, uh, those uh, false prophets who had, uh, who had been prophesying and, and leading the people astray, leading the people away from the one true God. And Elijah went, to call, went upon the mountain, the Mount Carmel, uh, called upon you know, the, the prophets of Baal, called upon the, the, their false God, and nothing happens Elijah calls upon the Lord and and fire comes down from heaven and consumes the offering. The people, of course, recognize that the Lord God is the one true God. The people uh, then are able to to capture all the the prophets of Baal. And Elijah himself personally kills every single one of them down by the river, shedding their blood in the water. And from this, he flees. The queen who had the charge over those prophets said, If I don't do the same thing to you that you did to them by the end of this day, may my own life be, be claimed. He was, she was out for blood, the blood of Elijah. And it was Elijah who fled, ran off into the desert, and there, besides, he needs to take a nap. He's been worn out, presumably, by all the slaying of prophets and such. And there an angel wakes him once, eat, and he does. Twice, eat. If you don't eat, you won't be strong enough to make it to the mountain. And he eats. And then he goes forth in 40 days and 40 nights. He walks and ultimately led to the mountain of Horeb. The mountain wherein he climbs. And in the midst of all of these things, there's the... I'm sure we all recall the story. There's the, the, the earthquake and there's the flashes of fire and all these things. And none of those things with the Lord. And the Lord passes by in a still small whisper. 
And Elijah covers his face and goes out to meet his God. It is because he was nourished with this bread that was given to him by the angel that he was able to go and to encounter God. The people of Israel, when they were in the desert, they went out and for 40 years, every day, with the exception of the Sabbath, they were given this manna, this bread that came down from heaven. It was like a dew that settled. And then, you know, when, it would, when the, the, the morning fog would rise, there it was for them to consume. And for 40 years, they were nourished with this miraculous bread that came down from heaven. Forty years, every day, their flesh was strengthened so that they might have earthly life until they got to the promised land, the place where God was waiting to lead them. For forty years, this happened every day, with the exception of the Sabbath. And on the day they crossed into the promised land, it stopped, and it was never seen again. When they got to the place that the Lord had destined for them, it was finished. The bread from heaven had served its purpose, leading them to the promised land. Our Lord is the bread that came down from heaven. And it is his flesh that nourishes us here in this life, both bodily, but more importantly, spiritually, until we ultimately arrive at that place, that promised land that is ours, heaven. Here. We must be nourished with his flesh. We'll hear more emphatically our Lord's voice in the days to come. But it's the simple fact that we must receive of his flesh that bread given for the life of the world to have eternal life, heaven, the joy of all, beholding the face of God. Not simply veiling our face and hiding and going out to to see the Lord pass by and to see only his back as Elijah experienced, but rather to see him face to face, to see his glory, his radiance, the look of love for us. It must be the Eucharist to strengthen us in all of these things. The Eucharist is a tremendous gift, and we must, as our Lord says, of necessity, receive of it. But as St. Augustine was wanting often to tell his people, before we consume him, we must adore him. Before we consume him, we must adore him. To worship God, to worship Christ, to worship the Eucharist. It is truly him, truly his flesh. Indeed, as the bread of the presence in the temple, the bread was known to be uh, the bread of the presence of God. Already in the Old Testament, they understood that there was a a bread that, that made God present in some mysterious way, that the Lord was present. They also called it the bread of the face. The face of God. And every time we go to adoration, we can look into the monstrance and see that simple host, two and three quarters inches wide, usually is the standard size. And there he is, our God, looking at us face to face. It is veiled for us in this time, 
But one day, the Eucharist will cease to exist. It will be the end of time. And it will cease because this earthly world will no longer be as it has been. There will be only the promised land or the place of Gehenna and fire. There will be no more traveling on the way. There will be presence, His. We must adore our Lord. And this is the most important thing, I would think, if there's anything for us, is to remember these realities, that we must come and spend time with Christ in the Eucharist. Our Lord has made himself available. He has made himself a prisoner on our tabernacles out of love. He has bound himself here for us. Not just so that we can kind of know that he's here in some vague sense, but to know that he is here physically, truly present before us. That we can come into this place and know that God is right here. He is here. We can look to countless saints for encouragement in this. This past Monday, we celebrated the Feast of St. Peter Julian Amar, who, as a five-year-old child, ran away from his sister who was watching him one day. Every sister's delight when their little brother runs. And she went and she ultimately found her little brother in the church. He had fled to Christ. And she didn't find him sitting in the pews or kneeling at the altar rail. She found him on a stool, standing at the top step of the altar, leaning towards the tabernacle. And she said, Peter, what are you doing? And he said, I can hear him better from here. At five years of age, Peter Julian, who later became St. Peter Julian, knew that Christ was really, truly present here in the tabernacle. And he wanted to speak. And he knew that he needed to get close to listen. On Wednesday, we celebrated the feast of St. John Vianney, the patron of all priests. He who himself had an intense love for the Lord, who was often found kneeling before the Blessed Sacrament at, you know, at any hour of the night, 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning. It didn't matter. Frequently, he was found kneeling before the Lord with his hands knelt in prayer, often with his bravery at his side, weeping because of the love of God was too overwhelming for him. He couldn't read his bravery on account of the tears welling up in his eyes. And so he simply wept before the Lord for the love of God in the Eucharist. Certainly this wore off on his parishioners. One day he came into the church and he noticed that there had been a man who was frequently coming and he would find him sitting in the church. He would oftentimes have a, uh, one of his uh, farming implements, uh, you know, a, a garden hoe or some sort, uh, sitting at the front door. And inside would be the man, sitting there quietly, looking at the altar. And one day, St. John walked over and he said, Why is it that you are here? What is it that you are doing? And the man simply and humbly turned to the cure, his future saint of the church, and he said, It's simple, Father. I look at him, and he looks at me. He was speaking of the gaze of love. It's not only for the intellectual or for those who are the masters of the spiritual life. It was for the ordinary person, and this man spoke it and knew it. 
In Spain in the 1800s, there was a bishop who went, who was a priest initially, ultimately was named a bishop, who was a priest, Father Manuel, and he was assigned to a parish, kind of a little ways out of the city. And when he got there, the sacristan greeted him at the parish boundaries and brought him to the church. And when he walked into the church, he was shocked at the conditions. The sanctuary lamp, which was oil, had leaked all onto the floor and the lamp had gone out. The linens on the altar were threadbare. There were holes rotted through them. The tabernacle had cobwebs across the front of it. The church was, for all intents and purposes, abandoned. And yet he knew the parish was active. It still existed. It hadn't been closed. And so this new pastor looked at the, the sacristan and he said, what, what has happened? And the sacristan simply let the priest know that there was not very much love of God in the parish. That people didn't really come anymore for Holy Mass. That it had been years since they had done a wedding or any of the sacraments. And Father Manuel, in that moment, felt a deep sorrow in his heart. And he decided, he decided on the spot that he was going to leave and to go back to his bishop and say, I cannot serve this parish, it is dead. But as he turned around in front of the altar, he heard a voice that said, are you going to leave me too? And he turned around and he recognized it as the voice of his Christ. And there he fell upon his knees and he vowed that he would not leave him. That he would never abandon our Lord. That he would preach and teach his entire life. That many would come to know Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. And this he did. He became known as the Bishop of the Abandoned Tabernacle. And as a bishop, he founded communities to continue to foster in devotion to the Blessed Sacrament. These saints teach us that our Lord is here. That he listens to us. That he speaks to us. It is for us to make the time to speak also and also to listen. Time spent with our Lord is never wasted. It is always fruitful. Always. There is not a soul in the world, I am convinced, who can go regularly before the Blessed Sacrament, whether in adoration, a Eucharistic adoration, exposition, or simply before the tabernacle in a church or chapel, who can go there regularly and not be profoundly transformed by Christ. I would give you anything you want in the world. Otherwise, I am convinced it is a fact. If we go before him faithfully, we cannot help but be changed. Many saints of the church are convinced of the same. Mother Teresa, who blessed us with her presence some 30 or so years ago, spoke of the fact that she would not have been able to labor even one week doing what she had done, were it not for the Eucharistic presence of our Lord and the time spent every day in adoration. She who labored for decades recognized that without the Eucharist, not even seven days could pass, before she would give up on her mission. Archbishop Fulton Sheen, Venerable Fulton Sheen, who was frequently found before the tabernacle, had committed it for his priesthood that he would spend an hour before the Blessed Sacrament every single day of his priesthood, no matter what. 
And as he recounted to a number of priests on a retreat, that there were many days where he had to spend his holy hour kneeling in the snow on the front steps of the church because the doors were locked. Or there were other days where someone forgot that he was there and they locked him in. And he had to climb out of the coal chute just to be able to get out and to go about his, the rest of his business. But none of it mattered. All of it was worth it for the joy of spending an hour with Jesus. Even St. John Paul II, who in his last days was stricken by illness, still made a point in his morning holy hour to kneel before the Blessed Sacrament, to be present to our Lord every day, and even to offer himself in his sufferings every morning. It was said that often those, the, uh, the bishops and, and those who were gathered around him who would be present with him would often find him in the late hours of the night keeping a vigil, and they would hear this strange groaning, sort of groaning of the Spirit. And they understood in the reference of the sacred scriptures that when our words fall short, it is the Holy Spirit who expresses himself in inexpressible groanings. These and countless others show us of the importance of time with Christ. There is nothing that will ever be wasted. If we give it to him, he will do something with it, whether within us or within another person. Always, presence in the Eucharist will bear fruit. And so I would encourage you, if you are not already, make a point each week to spend time with our Lord. We've got the Adoration Chapel here Monday through Friday, 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock. If you want to commit to a time, all fine and good. We're certainly encouraged to do so. But if you want to stop by, all the better. There's certainly a number of Adoration Chapels around the city that are available for you to stop in, as well as other churches. But however it is that you get there, and wherever it is that it may be, place yourself frequently in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. St. John Vianney, again, would often have a single kind of cry of the heart as he would point to the tabernacle and tell his people over and over and over and again, He is here! He is here! The God who loves you so much. He's here. How blessed are we to come to this holy place, to come to the house of God, and to know that He is here, that He speaks and He listens.